Hi, my name is Shailesh Date. I'm the CEO of LRC Systems and Research Institute. And my biggest core value is to leave the world with uh, a, a good idea that people can use in their daily lives and, and it hopefully will help them improve their life. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Ling, and you're listening to Absolute Value, a show about applied math, investing, and the underlying principles that help us live happy, healthy, and productive lives. Hey friends, it's Daniel. I'm excited to share some info on this wonderful new product and app called Anchor. It streamlines the podcasting process and allows you to record with friends seamlessly. Anchor takes care of a lot of the aspects of the podcasting process, all the way through to production and distribution, so you can focus on the best part, your conversations with your guests. This is an amazing platform. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Dr. Shalesh Date to the podcast. Dr. Date is the CEO of the Laboratory for Research in Complex Systems, a research institute based in Menlo Park focused on complex systems research and venture building, including research and ventures aimed at tackling the COVID-19 pandemic. He is also the head of Global Viral, an SF-based organization and leader in global research focused on pandemics, with a mission of combating the spread of infectious diseases and dedicated to pandemic prevention and monitoring the transmission of viruses globally. Dr. Date is an epidemiologist by trade and a leading expert on infectious diseases. On the episode, we discuss strategies to combat the COVID-19 pandemic globally and our continued fight to control the spread of infectious disease. We also talk about the trajectory of the pandemic, the path for vaccine distribution, and other areas of pandemic research. As we start to see progress in vaccinations across the country and make our way out of the COVID-19 crisis, We discuss the road forward, as well as the infrastructure needed for pandemic preparedness and to prevent potential future pandemics. We discuss sample exchange, a new software venture that we've launched, and a spin-out of the Laboratory for Research in Complex Systems, based here in Menlo Park. Sample exchange serves as a tech-enabled platform to aid the rapid development of urgently needed vaccines for novel viruses, including the COVID-19 vaccine. The platform will serve as part of key infrastructure needed to ensure pandemic preparedness and prevention of global outbreaks. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. Shailesh, thanks for being on the podcast. I know we could talk about a lot of the topics and complex systems we're working on, but I hope to focus this discussion on the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and our efforts in this area. I'd love to start off with you know, what have been your takeaways and perhaps not so obvious trends you've noticed in terms of how the pandemic has evolved over this past year and how it maybe contrasts with initial outlooks from an epidemiological standpoint when we first were seeing the propagation of this virus? Now, this is, a, this is a, another interesting observation. And, you know, we have, although we do hear in the media and we do see a lot of, um, you know, difference of opinion between, you know, um, sort of socializing or, or social distancing and wearing masks and having bubbles and uh, all kinds of things. Uh, we have been to a large extent, and this, goes, this, is, this is a credit to all the, all the people, 
uh, we have been to a large extent been able to sort of uh, you know break transmission in in many um, instances and one of the interesting things that has happened is that uh, some of the transmission of other communicable diseases especially things like influenza uh, has also gone down significantly and you can read about some of the the decrease in cases in the the morbidity and mortality reports and so on and so it is uh, uh, it is actually you know in a, in in a in a bad way uh, but a silver lining about uh, to the pandemic is that we have definitely stopped the spread of some um, other communicable diseases that are uh, a big burden on the population. Definitely an additional positive effect of social distancing. And while it is encouraging to hear about this reduced transmission of other diseases, you know, what does it mean for public perception of the influenza vaccine and its importance? Could there be second order effects of this that are less than ideal? Now, an interesting thing uh, is uh, is happening, uh, and that is that, uh, you know, we always have this issue with influenza. Just most people, even though the, the vaccine is available every year, there's a significant portion of the population. Uh, not, not, you know, I, I don't know how to qualify it. Uh, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't know how many, you know, what percentage of the population. But there is a, there's a significant portion that does not take the flu vaccine. Uh, and um, although, you know, it does not, you know, there, there are different, uh, some of them have, have real reasons, but, but this leads to differing consequences. And, and every, every season, almost, we get a robust transmission of the flu. Now, the, so given the fact that there is already some <laughs> resistance to taking the flu vaccine, one of the things that, that we're worried about, uh, the, the ID epidemiology community, is um, you know, to you know, to this this knowledge being publicized that that flu cases are down. Now, if you're telling people that you know there are some people who don't even take the vaccine, and and then they they hear about the fact that oh, flu is not as prevalent this year as it was in the previous years, then they are even more not likely to take the vaccine. So that is a that is a bit of an issue. Uh, but we have fortunately seen a reduction in transmission. Now, there is another point that is important, uh, and that is co-infection. So with influenza, mm-hmm. we have, um, you know, uh, pneumonia that, 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 that happens in some patients, and there are other infections. Uh, there's also people who come into the hospital who get hospital-acquired infections. Um, and all of these things uh, we are actually not seeing with COVID people, uh, with COVID patients, uh, you know, even because of, uh, again, some of the measures that have been taken by hospitals and hospital chains themselves, we've actually seen a reduction uh, even in, 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 in uh, nosocomial infections. Uh, and um, with COVID are going to have, uh, there is, uh, especially ventilated or something, then they are going to have issues, um, perhaps even pneumonia. Uh, but this is another point. Is, a significant amount of infection. So this is uh, chill. It's not, uh, it's a complicated picture. The multifaceted nature of a pandemic and especially the one we're currently dealing with certainly makes it an extremely complex system. And it also highlights the importance of rapid development of vaccines for novel viruses to hopefully reduce co-infection alongside the transmission of this novel virus. 
you know, something we've talked about in our building of new ventures geared towards COVID-19 response, and we'd love to chat about it here, the, the importance of collaboration, both in public and private spheres for urgently needed vaccines, you know, vaccine development, and in regards to the time-sensitive nature of pandemic response and delivering a COVID-19 vaccine as quickly as possible, also for pandemic preparedness and prevention in regards to the threat of future pandemics. Absolutely. We are seeing, of course, this is prevented, uh, you know, even for vaccine development. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, as many people, you know, almost everyone uh, who was in the, in the pharma industry uh, has stepped up or had a, uh, you know, towards thinking vaccine development, towards uh, sort of, you know, any kind of pharmaceutical intervention. Uh, uh, and that is really, uh, an, you know, progress, you know, some of the best and the brightest minds in the industry. I think we're seeing the, the effects of that. We've, you know, very be- quickly been able to get into um, and, and seeing effectiveness in uh, of those vaccines from manufacturers. So that's great, actually. Um, this is the, that we have actually been able to get a couple of different manufacturers in line, uh, and they seem to be good and efficacious. On. So that that's, and I will touch on the collaboration part. Uh, but one of the things, um, one of the things that, uh, that we have to think about seeing, um, especially people don't think about this, but we, even though a vaccine is going to be, you know, it's great that we have a vaccine, but remember that, you know, we are thinking this is, this is very rarely the case that we actually vaccinate uh, the, of the country, or in this case, you know, we are going to try and vaccinate uh, this, um, this. So there are, you know, there are going to be challenges to you know, you know, and so many. I mean, I hope it's not big. That that doesn't that big of an issue, but it can be. So, thinking about vaccines, and it's a great, you know, it's it's really so quickly. But, uh, there's going to be some challenges in the availability of of this. Now, the the. Collaboration uh, that is really, uh, really important, and that has uh, it is un- that you've done together. Uh, people have shared, you know, some samples. We have noticed, and we noticed this for for almost before COVID happened. We've seen this big um, issue that we have. There is lack of cooperation. Uh, would like it to be, you, can, um, if, you know, if you want to have any kind of a prevention. Uh, and, uh, you know, sort of, you know, recognizing this, um, you know, uh, decided to address this and sample exchange is a brand uh, you know, we have had a soft launch. Uh, it's an alpha, but the idea is that we will actually open up this platform, searchers all 
people can share that they've developed through their research uh, on the platform. And it can be anything. It can be, uh, you know, libraries that you've developed. Someone else find them useful or product, small molecule. And we're um, sort of, you know, for, uh, for collaborating. We have a lot. Platforms like ours, uh, and people are welcome to develop them too. Uh, but uh, we would have like ours, which would be, uh, you know, which would help people collaborate quite more readily. And I think that touches on why we firmly believe this venture is so integral to providing the infrastructure needed for pandemic prevention and being prepared for future outbreaks and the threat of another pandemic in the future. Now, I'd love to also chat with you about how you see the COVID-19 pandemic in the context of previous pandemics that humanity has faced in the past and how you'd compare the current pandemic with the 1918 influenza pandemic, for example, epidemiologically or otherwise, and also the unique characteristics of the COVID-19 virus compared to other novel viruses and perhaps how that can inform how we approach the final stages of combating this pandemic and getting back to normalcy in society. Definitely, that's an important point uh, that, that this is uh, an interesting and it's a new virus. We have, say, an in I wouldn't say we would know what to do, but we, would, we know what happens when we have influenza. So that is really a difference. Uh, we have had uh, some viral cousins of this in SARS and MERS, which were previous pandemics, both within the last uh, 20 uh, And we've seen uh, their spread. Um, uh, and this is uh, just like this COVID-19 as um, SARS-CoV-2. So there is definitely, uh, you know, every pandemic is different, uh, but there's definitely the big added factor of how global, uh, you know, how global we are uh, these days. You know, we transcend boundaries, even for vacations and short trips, you easily cross borders. Uh, this is something, this is definitely a phenomenon of the new world, right? I mean, mm -hmm. another, uh, and this is not something that, you know, that we've seen before. I mean, it has become, uh, you know, in the last 20 years, at least, it has really become, uh, global travel has really taken off uh, like crazy. And so that is just, you know, it, it, it uh, kind of thing. The, the thing, um, you know, nowhere in the time did we have so much public interaction uh, between people. People were often isolated, they were remote, they were rural. Um, so you would not have effects, uh, you know, even we didn't have, you know, plague and so on, some of the big pandemics that reached everywhere. Uh, but there were still, you know, it, it, was, um, uh, it was not the scale that we are seeing now where, you know, we are having, uh, you know, more than 100,000 cases being reported every day is simply unprecedented so it is uh it is really uh you know the fact that the virus is contagious uh the fact that we are uh you know such a you know we're so global citizens now issue in that 
uh, and, and the disease, we have carriers. We have or people who have very mild symptoms or people who have symptoms recognize them from this uh, you know, things like and fever and you know uh, uh, some although there are some symptoms like anosmia like loss of smell and so on that that's very specific uh, but in general there are many many people and you hear these reports all the time that you know some people had or most people had very mild that has also been that has also actually uh, you know it's a big variable in the whole thing because you would not if you were for instance sick with the flu flu will make you really really sick and it will confine you to your home or wherever you are uh, with other people or um, you, uh, you know the same way that you would you would function as when you would be you know so that is really a big uh, contribution to the spread uh, you know like the people you know um, i've had some people in my own family uh, who tested positive, but you know who who actually mm-hmm. were super surprised as to why they tested sorry positive. Sorry to hear that. Huh? Oh, uh, uh, sorry to hear that. I did. Um, oh, no, it was, uh, it was, it was third... actually healthy people. Uh, you know, they they have remained healthy, and they were just. Uh, it was really. And then we had some other. You know, we tragedies. Uh, not my family, but no. Uh, uh, elderly patients being lost because um, you know the symptoms came on too quick. They couldn't find a hospital get in time. And we've had uh, all kinds of uh, patient profiles. So definitely, yeah. yeah. But that is so, really sorry, the, 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 the difference between this and and other pandemics. Definitely. And you touched on the implications of this pandemic. And it's interesting to hear about various views on the economic impacts of the pandemic, such as a restructuring of how society is set up and a large number of individuals leaving dense urban centers and moving to rural areas, along with other societal changes. What do you see in the long term in terms of how this pandemic is changing society structurally? Uh, you know, the, the... You know, New York City is New York City. You know, we sh- it's very special. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we should not see the see the United States or you know the world through some of the, the yeah. lens of it's these big the, cities. Most dense, uh, yeah. Yeah. And even uh, you know my wife and she often you know all she talks about is like how Mumbai is and how we travel and I, you know I often have to remind her you know that's that's not how people in the rest of the country do it. Uh, you know, or, uh, you know, when she came for the first time to New York City, she was like, ah, this feels like home because, you know, but there is, of course, you know, there is a, you know, people, the, you have to remember that uh, in epidemiology, uh, one of the big things we look at is uh, economic impacts of disease and questions. And, you know, <clears throat> there might be a bunch of people who can afford we hear about, but what about the rest, uh, you know, jobs if you're to an urban, uh, suburban center or where you can 
comfortably. Do, do you think that jobs the suburbs? And that's usually not the case. So you will uh, is in response to uh, to this. Uh, you know, it's it's really it has really changed uh, the way people live. So you will find people moving away. Um, oh, how much of that? Again, of people who are graduating, who are waiting market. Uh, and again, if the jobs are in the big cities and on the coast, then that's where So I'd find uh, this narrative of people, there, there, there have been instances in the, in the history of this country where people have moved away uh, and away from cities more and settled into suburbs. Um, and you know there were there have been uh, sort of structural changes in the society as a consequence of that. Uh, I don't. This event is is as as big as that, uh, or that that people had, and especially when people left say, cities like Detroit. I don't know if that is going to be the case that in the big cities, you know, this is uh, a bit of a it's a small, it's a small deviation for sure. You can duplicate walls, since going. Mm-hmm. The one thing I, she is going to make a bit of an impact, uh, and that is that uh, you hear about how you know it has really taken off. Mm-hmm. It's definitely going to uh, moving away, uh, you know, out of big city. Again, that was uh, jobs are very specific and they're technology focused and so on. Not all jobs uh, can be done remotely. Still, a need to have people. Stacking uh, um, goods in warehouses, and you know, attending, you know, manning grocery stores, and so on. So those are all the jobs um, that cannot be done. So, you know, again, that's that's uh, that you will see some changes, but so, so for us, being that the world is going to change, people are going to move away from. We have for the longest time, fact, opposite trends uh, for the last, you know, multi-organization uh, where, where people have moved away uh, from pronounced in places where, you know, small towns and villages where there's no one be empty. Another aspect of this virus that has made the pandemic so difficult to control is its asymptomatic transmission, which has made traditional infection control and public health strategies you know, not as effective as they've been for other novel viruses. What do you see to be the best course of action in terms of reducing the threat of asymptomatic transmission? And if the vaccine is able to control asymptomatic infection as we expect, is that perhaps the most important epidemiological characteristic of this vaccine in addition to preventing illness itself from COVID nineteen, and that is there is this concept of you know how much inoculum you need. 
know how virus is really not uh you know you you don't need to to infect someone else um and exposure is the viruses uh of the virus on hard surfaces droplets and so on so there are i think some of these uh you know sort of a broad view of this will uh, probably you know and probably in the next year or so uh, you know there is this uh but the do have this is this is the problem uh, airborne transmission if if the virus is uh, if, if this virus or other virus transmitted through the air transmission then um, aerosol remains points around for a while uh, especially these days when uh, indoor complete which are only you know they don't have i mean, ventilated in the sense they rely on artificial ventilation there is no outside there's no movement of air uh, so you have the possibility of the aerosol being circulated over and over so that is probably uh, we see and of course you know this virus you know for you know there are there is a contribution uh, you know people talk in in office buildings and so on then that is responsible like influenza influenza is that that way so uh, you know you have that sort of you know you have that and that definitely that you know transmits that way then then you're going to have a bigger pandemic uh, <laughs> I'm sorry you have a bigger transmission yeah all the time sorry <laughs> and with the rise in cases we've seen it's heartbreaking from a public health standpoint but it's also motivating and a call to action another tangential topic that our conversation naturally leads to is vaccine distribution and how the u.s has done really well so far in the initial rollout and with the production capability logistical and operational expertise you know, the U.S. can lead the way in vaccine distribution for other countries as well. Related to that is the topic of immunity and how the vaccine can enable the body to build immunity, you know, thinking long-term once distribution has been achieved. What is your outlook on herd immunity and immunological memory that the vaccine can enable? I, I, I can tell you preemptively that the, I don't know the answer to that. Um, the immunity question is a big caught up with the paper. Seen different numbers. You know, I've seen immunity last a while. Report that immunity last people saying, um, you know, there were I don't know if it was really confirmed an infection in some parts of uh, South Korea uh, or something like that. So I actually don't know, uh, and it is a good question because if if, if this if immunity lasts, uh, well, influenza is, is slightly different. Uh, but if you do immunity, uh, you know that uh, long last, and if this does become a seasonal disease, then we have um, a bigger issue on our hands, uh, and you will see um, the, uh, socioeconomic impact of that. Is really true. 
uh, I don't know how we would with the fact that we have long-term immunity. Of course, uh, I don't know how much uh, immunity the you know the vaccine would do. Uh, I don't know if it, if it confers long-term, uh, but if it does confirm long-term immunity, then it's different. But if it does not, and if immunity wanes and uh, the virus circulates, uh, a bit of a bit of from the perspective of diagnosis, what are the biggest challenges in the context of COVID-19 testing and diagnosis? And how does that change post-vaccine distribution? The funny thing is, diagnosis can change. For instance, for instance uh, you know, and if you're lines that used to, strongly encourage the physician to uh, start treating you for would be the most likely. Uh, and that is often, you know, that is absolutely true now for COVID. If you are showing symptoms, if you're sick, then given the fact that we have been, you know, sort of distancing ourselves and there is no no longer transmission of anything else, you might have COVID, a bit of cold and, and, and some allergies, uh, allergies some, you know, similar symptoms. If you have a fever, if you have... Uh, you know, then it is likely that that you have uh, COVID nineteen, uh, and you should be immediately tested. Uh, physical, if you know, physical symptoms. I don't think this is for. <laughs> I'm not saying this. I'm not a physician. I'm saying that people should do this. There are certain uh, uh, certain symptoms that seem to have um, to have more prevalent uh, things like. Smell and taste, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, pain. Uh, you know, some people have also seen this fun colds and please. There's also that that we've seen in patients. There's a large load in the so of of viral load in the so. Terms they're not definitely not the. Not something that that I would suggest that people, ordinary people, should uh, should use to, to diagnose themselves. Uh, people who are not physicians. I think it's it can if you're sick, then you. Now about that, that is a different. <laughs> I almost feel like we should not comment on. Testing, you know, there's many things, and you know, there, yeah. you know, there's just so many. They have a false positive rate, a false negative rate, uh, you know. So let's not get in because my mind. <laughs> we talked about testing, but of course, I, I, that doesn't mean to say that get tested. We don't have. We've seen that sometimes the predictive part of the of these tests is less than to to be, and then you know some PCR we've even uh, I don't know if I read it correctly or you know when I read it or where I read it, but I've seen that there was some contamination happening uh, in in uh, who uh, you know for patient sample. 
vaccinated with with lab covid dna uh, and the patients didn't weren't actually covid positive but then i uh, ended up i don't know if it was pcr or something that ended up uh, showing positive results and so there are lots of things scale at which we are testing again uh, you know that are that are such a large scale uh, so repeatedly to what extent can we evaluate the true propagation of the virus in relation to figures that we see from increases in testing and how does that change in regards to the particular characteristics of covid-19 moving towards if we are moving towards how many people are infected you know how quickly do people get infected and so on we are going to have to increase our testing so there is no doubt uh i don't know uh just looking at the question itself the answer the, the answer to that is yes you know there are uh, i mean and it's almost like the national dialogue should shift from a focus on testing to the actual implementation of habitual changes that are most effective to combating the spread of the virus you know, remaining diligent about social distancing, masks, protecting your quarantine bubble, etc. And hopefully we can reduce those restrictions as vaccine distribution ramps up. You know, one area I wanted to discuss as well was the origin and evolution of novel viruses and the pathogenicity of COVID-19 specifically. You know, how does it inform how we should approach fighting this pandemic and reducing transmission? And that also ties into two exciting projects that are ongoing at the Laboratory for Research and Complex Systems, the Origins of Biological Complexity Project and Boundaries of Life Initiative. How would you map the evolution and cross-species transmission of this virus? And does that have any implications on long-term immunity after vaccine distribution and how you know, we can contain the virus's spread? Uh, so, you know, you would over a period mm -hmm. of time, uh, any virus, just imagine that there is something, let's just say there's a virus in dogs or something. As it passes, you know, through through individual dogs, you know, the virus is going to mutate and, you know, create slightly different copies and, uh, you know, copies that are more virulent, that are, you know, better transmission, you know, better at transmitting. And then they might pick up, uh, you know, parts of the host genome and, you know, different characteristics and so on. Uh, how they transmit, how they jump from organisms, uh, you know, between one organism to another is an interesting topic. One of the reasons why we are seeing so much, uh, you know, such a, you know, is, is for, um, we're seeing essentially what is known as zoonotic transmission, transmission from animal humans. As we deplete the environment, humans are coming more and more in animals which were previously um, not you come in contact with. Uh, you know, bat guano is something that people use now as an organic fertilizer. Uh, and so there are people who have to go and collect the bat guano and they have to go into caves. And so there they have encounters with bats that that naturally not, not have. And so there's this exposure, uh, you know, and it's just a, uh, uh, yeah, we are living in modern times and we have, you know, slightly different habits than what people had previously. We are, every so often, you know, our proximity to animals for transmission that happens from the animal to, to humans. Now, you know, there are lots of, maybe there's a, there's a burden in, even in cats and dogs, we just, you know, we don't know. Uh, but the reason why it doesn't transmit 
easily is because you know there's a difference. if there's a virus that can over in biology that can use a receptor or some something on a cell that is commonly conserved uh, then the virus is likely to transmit all to humans so uh, one of the things that we are trying to so this is a, this is a different area that you brought up the boundaries of life project which is a very interesting project uh, go once I forget virus all the animals and plants and everything that we know are there organisms are there is are there other kinds of life that we haven't even and some of these might have some uh, health so it's that we are we are looking at um, through the boundaries of life and finally you know we have seen the trajectory of the COVID-19 pandemic you know what aspects of its trajectory are most salient to you perhaps in regards to transmission of the virus? You know, asymptomatic carriers is the, is the answer to that. Um, so, you know, you control and then it passes into a trough where you have transmission, but it's asymptomatic. And then it transmits to enough people who are... And then the number of those... That's, how, that's why we get these waves. So people were still, you know... But it, there is a parameter here of social distancing. Or as people go down, you know, people think of again and the number. All of these things together produce that. Learn. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my podcast episode with Dr. Date. We enjoyed discussing our work in pandemic research and our efforts to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. It was also great to share details on some of the ventures we're building to provide the infrastructure needed for pandemic prevention and preparedness. While this episode focused on our research and venture building aimed at tackling the ongoing pandemic and public health crisis, on a future episode, we hope to discuss some of our other complex systems research and moonshot technologies we're building in the areas of AI, self-driving cars, climate tech, and quantum computing, with the goal of improving lives and making a positive difference in the world. Thanks for listening, and tune in next time for more. today. Thank you for listening to Absolute Value. Listeners, what did you think? You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. You can leave a message on our website, and it too could be included in a future episode. You can also send us an email at absolutevaluepodcast at gmail.com. Please follow us on Twitter at the handle absvaluepodcast. You can also follow us on our Facebook, Medium, and LinkedIn pages to stay up to date on new episodes. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Absolute Value on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever quality podcasts are downloaded. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.